Good morning and welcome to the original Loretta Brown Show Woohoo! radio to open the heart, heal the soul, and awaken the consciousness. Benny, your Halloween costume woke me up. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, it was a decent uh, turnout, so to, so to speak. It wasn't the best, uh, I guess, um, I guess turnout for myself, but you know what? I Other people can win, too. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. All right. Well... You know, gosh, you know, this is so sappy, but you're always a winner in my oh, well, heart, thank you. Benny. Well, just to fill sappy. everybody in, because I know in the last show I didn't give too many details <laughs> away, I ended up being Les Grossman, who was a character from the movie Tropic Thunder, which is actually a movie taking place within the movie. And uh, that was the whole main reason why I was growing out my hair for almost a month and a half, two months, which I don't have much left of it anyway, so it was kind of easy to carve out the top, because there isn't anything there. Uh, so we went with that. And then, of course... Following Halloween, which was on a Saturday this year, and of course our blue full moon, which was amazing, Sunday was the start of, of course, November 1st, and that's Movember. So then I shaved everything off, <laughs> and I look like, I don't know, there's so many characters I could go into, like Casper with a tan, uh, I'm not, now I've got a four, I've got four, I've got five days now of growth into it, so... We're going to see if I can get the old crumb keeper going here for uh, a little bit of awareness yeah. for our, our Well, you know, I here. have to fight that myself. So. <laughs> I've never had uh, a, a mustache or I'm going to attempt. Uh, I mean, I've had a beard, but the crazy thing is, is Loretta, I haven't seen my chin in like 20 years. It's crazy on how much facial I, I've worn facial hair that long. And uh, also my boys, I have twin boys, if, if everyone's just tuning in listening for the first time. Uh, they, they were surprised because they've never seen me without a beard either. So that Did was they good. know who you were? They're oh, like, yeah. Whoa. I, I kind of surprised them. I took back a little bit of it, and then I come back out again like five minutes later, and they're like, whoa, Dad. Like, seriously? <laughs> they did that whole move. It was great. Super great. <laughs> I love that so much. Yeah. I just love that so much. Well, it's a new time, right? It you is. Know, it's, a, it's a new month. It's a new era. Yeah, we're in it's an a evolution. new face I've seen. <laughs> song about that probably there's i'm sure i could find something somewhere yeah anyway um thank you for sharing all that i loved it i loved all of it welcome yeah yeah Yeah, hopefully you had a good one too mm -hmm. hopefully you had a good halloween too yeah yeah good i did i i had a good halloween i um uh got together with uh like three people good and uh we had we had a good time. We gazed at the moon. I think we howled at the moon. You know, that's probably too much information. No, not but. at all. I mean, it, it makes sense. Uh, what was <laughs> nice though, a lot of the neighborhoods. I know uh, a lot of people did the post Halloween or during the Halloween. Um, the area I was in, um, the neighbors did little like uh, Easter eggs, but they were Halloween eggs, and they placed them all around the yard. So when kids would come by, they could just randomly grab a couple and then take off too. So adhering to a whole distancing and us and being staying safe, which was super sweet. Not very many people out though this year, obviously, because yeah, it's just many. a lot of yeah, a lot of lights off and uh, just everyone just kind of taking it easy, which is yeah. a good thing. And it was kind of cold too, so you know, stay inside, stay warm. Stay inside, stay yep. warm. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Good um, times. Everybody, you know, kind of remarked to me that you know there were fewer people out, which probably is just fine. But yeah, getting together and and celebrating in some fashion. I'm I'm such a family person. I really believe in family, and yeah. I love kids. Mm -hmm. So. You know, um, yeah, so pictures of kids is good. Pictures yeah. of adults acting like kids yeah. is good. We right? definitely know this year was a little more difficult than previous years, but, you know, you got to go, you know, got to do what you got to do. You got to do what you got to do. And as they say, life goes on, right? Life goes on. Yeah. So um, anyway, I am Loretta Brown, believe it or not. That's why it's called the original Loretta Brown Show, because I'm so original. And I am the owner of Reiki Oasis, located right here in the greater Seattle area. Actually, we're in Bellevue, and I have been in business for 27 years. <sighs> what? Oh, makes me shake. Practically as long as I've worn a beard. It. Practically as long as I I've worn know. a beard. <laughs> Some people listening aren't even that old. I know. Well, just forget <laughs> about it, right? But uh, we do a lot of things over there. Obviously, it's about the mind, body, mm -hmm. spirit, and the connection there. So you can check out uh, my business at ReikiOasis.com. Every Sunday morning at 11, I am doing a meditation. It's called Sunday Meditation with Loretta because, once again, I believe that you should advertise what it is you're actually doing, right? <laughs> but um, 
it's just a, a weekly get together. It, it is Zoom uh, because we are social distancing here in uh, the greater Seattle area. We're in King County. And, um, but you know, it's, it's by donation. So it's $0 to $22. You can sign up at schedule.reikioasis.com. And if you can't make it in person, I record the meditations and I send them to you so you can listen to them over and over or at your own, you know, when you're in the privacy of your own home, in your jammies, laying on blankets or something, right? The incense going in the background, whatever it is that you like. And it's really designed to help you uh, become healthier and happier. Um, I do have a Reiki 2 class coming up on Saturday. And once again, you can find out more about what I do at ReikiOasis.com. I don't want to spend a lot of time on that. I want to get my guest onto the show. I do want to make a comment, uh, astro astrology comment for my sky gazers. We did start November at the tail end of a beautiful blue moon, which happened on Halloween. And a blue moon is simply the second full moon in any given month. And October bookend us with a, a full moon on the first and a full moon on the last day of the month. And full moons are called uh, illumination. Uh, uh, they illuminate the truth. So that was headed into our very interesting week. Uh, Tuesday, which was the election day, Mercury went direct. Mercury, the planet of communication is now moving forward into November. And what that means is that things are gonna to start to unravel. Um, completions are coming the month of November. Um, I am calling it the month of revelations or the revealing of truth. We will be completing one of our major cosmic cycles this year, the Jupiter-Pluto conjunction. And it began in January. We have had it happen twice this year. It is a massive event in the sky. And the third event happens November 12th. And the day after that, Mars, that lovely planet of energy. And well, it can be battle and it can be anger. It's gonna go direct. It's been going backwards in its home sign of Aries. And so they've been causing some trouble. But what this means when it goes direct, on the 13th, we're going to have no major planets going backwards. And all of this energy that has been holding us back, all of this lethargy, all of this lack of inspiration, um, the energy is going to shift and it's going to try to shove us forward into um, what is happening. And we kind of need to be present right now. So anything that has felt stuck is going to get a push forward. And this will be great energy for getting things done, um, pushing forward that dream. Uh, think a little bit long-term, but also we're gonna need to stay very present with ourselves. So even though it's a strong energy, it will be guiding us, helping us, supporting us. And then like I always say, we are, we are greater than the stars. I always look at the stars because I love it. And um, I like to see what the weather is. You know, if it's rainy outside, I probably should take my, you know, wellies out there with me, right? So um, that's a whole lot of segue into bringing my guest onto the show. I'm very happy to have him. My guest today is Dr. Greg Hammer. Uh, he's an MD, a pediatric intensive care physician, a pediatric anesthesiologist, a professor at Stanford University Medical Center, Dr. Hammer's research is in developmental pharmacology and immunology, and he's also a health enthusiast, a meditator, utilizing a non-duality and mindfulness-based approach, including the GAIN method, which we will talk about. And um, Dr. Hammer is the author of GAIN Without Pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals which was just released this year. I'm gonna show you what the front of the book looks like. I love your book. Um, I really enjoyed reading it and, and gain without pain because they always say no pain, no gain, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. That's exactly right. Um, this is kind of a, a, a big question, um, but I, I want to lay a little groundwork for people that maybe don't know who you are, right? And all of the things that I said are 
very um, kind of impressive, right? You do a lot of really wonderful things on the planet. How did you get into being a doctor? What led you there? That's a good question. Um, I would say that uh, when I was at university, I, I was a bit of a hippie, I suppose, back in the day. I started meditating. Uh, I was really looking for the truth. Uh, I was actually studying astronomy, oh. and but I was also interested in human biology. There are no physicians in my family. It's just something that uh, I was interested in. I was very interested in the relationship between the micro and the macro. That is how systems are formed and how all the little bits relate to each other and, and create highly functional self-organizing systems. And I saw an analogy between astronomy and human biology in that, of course, uh, the study of astronomy involves things from the micro to the super macro and how systems form, including solar systems, uh, local uh, planetary and star stellar groups and galaxies, and then groups of galaxies or clusters, et cetera, all forming what we know as the universe. And the same phenomenon or the same pattern occurs in human biology, of course, that we have subcellular organelles and then uh, our cells, our cells form tissues and tissues make up the human body. And then if you want to go bigger, the human bodies on the planet all interact like a form of a system. And so in any case, uh, I, yeah. I came to a fork in the road between astronomy and biology and I took Yogi Berra's advice and he said, when you come to a fork in the road, take it. <laughs> so as a pragmatist, I chose medicine um, just to further my study of human biology and um, you know, hopefully uh, make a difference in the world as a physician. I, um, I think you would have been successful either way, but I'm glad you came this direction, you know, so that you can uh, be here now. I, I was thinking what an appropriate day for you to be on the show, right? Because um, everybody is stressed out. Everybody's having a hard time. 2020 has been challenging, shall we say? Mm -hmm. yes. And um, I, I'm such a proponent of um, mental health. I'm actually a, 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 a registered a mental health counselor for the state of Washington, in addition to doing Reiki. And uh, I have noticed that this year has particular uh, concerns. So I'm going to jump right into it, and we might jump around a little bit. And of course, please feel free to share whatever is in your heart, because my listeners need to hear you today. <laughs> I need to hear you today. So can you talk a little bit about what burnout is? And um, yeah, and, and why is it on the rise? Burnout is emotional and physical fatigue, which is caused by stress, quite simply. Um, this is a time when all of us are enduring a unique form of stress. I think there's sort of a background vibration of pain and suffering in the world. And I think this time is unique in that we all can sense or feel that as a global process. There's always pain and suffering. It's an intrinsic part of human life. So we have our individual pain and suffering. There's always pain and suffering going on around the world. There's war, there's famine, uh, there's natural disasters. People uh, have their homes destroyed. And so I think there's always a, a, a background vibration of pain and suffering and therefore stress. But in the pandemic time, it's very unusual in that we're all really connected. I think we all can empathize with all of our brothers and sisters around the world. And, uh, you know, really our hearts go out uniquely to those who have experienced loss, loss of a loved one, loss of employment, um, you know, loss of connection with friends and family, although we can have that connection virtually now. So uh, in any case, burnout in, in 
healthcare has been a longstanding problem and it's only recently begun to get real attention. And we know that when healthcare workers are burned out, when they're just fatigued from the stress of what they do, the quality of their work deteriorates. And, uh, you know, this has serious consequences for our patients and, uh, you know, the work that we do. So burnout is, uh, it's a, it's a fatigue that we can all relate to, which is uh, related to chronic stress. So we can talk about stress if you'd like. Yeah, actually, um, I think it would be good to put a few words out there about stress because people all the time sort of brush over it. Oh, I'm so stressed out. Oh, my goodness, everything that's going on, Loretta, right? And uh, they kind of brush over it. It's, it's like, well, it's a part of my life. Why do I need to attend to it or something? Yeah. I think it's actually very healthy to identify the phenomenon of stress and what we uh, may experience as its contributors, as individuals. And once we identify it, we may be able to uh, direct ourselves at solutions. So we can talk about acute stress and chronic stress. Acute stress may actually be adaptive. When we're suddenly or acutely stressed, our, the epinephrine or adrenaline in our bloodstream spikes. And so does cortisol, which is a hormone um, that uh, suppresses inflammation and may interfere with healing actually. So in, in acute stress, our heart rate goes up, our blood pressure goes up, we get uh, an increase in our blood sugar. And this may be adaptive. For example, we're at a party, there's a swimming pool, we hear a splash, we recognize that a toddler has fallen into the pool. Our acute stress level is notable and it helps us mobilize and maybe jump into the pool and rescue the toddler, that, that surge of adrenaline that we experience. So that may be adaptive. and you know, it's, it's fine to experience acute stress in a variety of circumstances. The issue is for our health, we need to have tools to bring that adrenaline and cortisol, among other things, down. So that's acute stress. It may be adaptive, not always, but it may be adaptive. Whereas chronic stress is virtually always maladaptive. When those levels of adrenaline and cortisol remain elevated, this actually causes stress on our cardiovascular system, puts a strain on our heart and our blood vessels. It uh, suppresses our immune function. And chronic stress actually also induces changes in our bodies akin to aging. For example, we have little structures at the ends of our chromosomes called telomeres. And they are like the little uh, plastic tips on our shoelaces that keep our shoelaces from fraying. The telomeres at the end of our chromosomes protect our chromosomes and they keep them from fraying, becoming damaged. As we age, our telomeres get shorter and less efficient at protecting our chromosomes. So we know that when people are under stress for a prolonged period of time, weeks, months, longer, their telomeres shorten. So again, uh, adverse consequences on our heart, our blood vessels, our immune system, uh, other aspects of our physiology, and even uh, provoking changes that are akin to aging. So that's chronic stress. It's, it's maladaptive. We need to identify it and then point ourselves in the direction of curing it. Uh, I'm thinking while you're talking, you know, your book, um, Gain Without Pain, is, is directed toward healthcare professionals, which I want to touch on in a minute. But this, what you're talking about, um, you know, we have had such a continuous I'm going to say event after event after event this year of 2020 to the point where do you think that maybe a lot of people are falling into that second category, that chronic stress or that buildup within them, you know, especially with the telomeres. I mean, a lot of my clients are like, Loretta, I feel like I've aged 10 years and they, they look like it. Sorry, people. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, that's exactly right. And so, um, you know, I think, part of what you do is, is help people de-stress. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, that's certainly something that I'm interested in as well, because I'm uh, a healthcare practitioner and, and I would like to help everyone become healthier. So yes, the gain without pain, the happiness handbook for healthcare professionals has a lot of stories about 
the medical profession, doctors, nurses, respiratory therapists, others, but it really, uh, 90% of what's in the book is really fully portable and applicable to all populations. I, there's another book at the publisher, which is called Gain Without Pain, Your Happiness Handbook. That's sort of a pocketbook version and the stories are more generic. They're stories relating to the pandemic. And uh, I'm working with a, a wonderful teenager in Florida who's a mindfulness teacher for kids. And oh. we're doing a Gain Without Pain book, uh, the happiness handbook for tweens and teens. So <laughs> I'm so glad to hear that. Um, that needs to happen too. And, and Gain Without Pain for uh, people at home homeschooling their children and <laughs> exactly and <so> forth. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> a great stressor for many people having their kids at home trying to do distance learning uh, a good friend of mine a uh, colleague in the intensive care unit has uh, a little one who's got adhd and you know just my heart goes out to them and their family it's just extremely stressful yeah. having kids at home right now for a number of reasons yeah um I really am on board with everything you're saying. Yes, um, a lot of the work that I do is is to try to help people de-stress before or as a complement to other care that they might be getting, right? Because um, like you say, we, my goal is if, if we can catch people before they get to burnout, right? And or like so many wonderful techniques in your book, teaching people how to manage this and maybe bring their life back into balance a little bit, right? Absolutely, yes. And yeah. I think it's important for us to recognize that happiness is our true nature. And oh. it becomes veiled by our experience. And as you mentioned, when you were introducing me, I'm very interested in development from the newborn, infant, toddler, school-age child, adolescent to adulthood. And during this time, we, uh, of necessity, acquire uh, layers of uh, thought processes. Our brains become wired in ways that uh, cause us to be obsessed with the past and the future and make it more and more difficult for us to be fully present. Um, you know, I'm just doing this work with teenagers and of course, you know, at a younger and younger age, kids are worried about where they're going to get into college. And so they become obsessed yeah. with the future. What's going to happen? What am I going to do when I grow up? What's going to happen when my parents are old and, and die? So this obsession with the future uh, is full of the unknown because yeah. that's what the future is. And so fear and anxiety are two phenomena that that are bestowed upon us when we're stuck in the future. And when we're obsessed with the past, which is also a very common thing as kids develop, they, especially by the time they're teenagers, they're embarrassed, they feel shame about things they did, or should I have said that? And there's a lot of uh, analysis of, of what has happened in the past. And again, um, thoughts of the future in the past may be adaptive, but beyond the adaptive, is the maladaptive and so yes in the future it's it's adaptive to think about good times to come we have to plan to put bread on the table so to speak so those are adaptive thoughts uh, beyond that the fear and anxiety that we experience are generated from maladaptive thoughts of the future and likewise with the past of course we want to dwell in the past enough so that we learn from our mistakes and um but beyond that uh, and savoring our memories that are that are happy ones with friends and loved ones. Beyond that, obsession with the past is associated with shame and regret and embarrassment. And so these are uh, experiences that we have uh, that impede us from being present. And happiness really lies, as you know, in the present moment. Yeah. So we can talk about how to be more present. That's the gain acronym which stands for gratitude acceptance intention and non-judgment and and this uh these domains are where we can sink into to bring our thoughts into the present moment and and to be at peace yeah i i want to really go into uh, the gain method and and being more present after our our station break we're going to take a station break but 
uh, while Benny's getting that ready. This, what you touched on, I think is so vital because so many people are so stuck in the past or that terrible thing that happened or they can't forgive that or they can't let that go. And like you say, it's shame and blame and guilt and grief and the whole thing. And then right now, because um, you know the future looks to be fairly uncertain or we're wondering if we're in control of anything, right? And, and those are kind of bases for, for great anxiety. So when we come back from the break, I definitely want to talk about uh, how to be in the present, how to be happy, and the GAIN method. My guest today is the amazing uh, Dr. Greg Hammer, MD. I'm loving our conversation. His book, GAIN, Without Pain, the Happiness Handbook for Healthcare Professionals. And of course, um, you're a healthcare professional because you're taking care of your own health, right? <laughs> anyway, this is Loretta Brown, and we'll be right back. Are you there, Benny? Maybe he's not there. He took a break. He took a break. So we're going to keep talking because he'll he'll come back at some point, right? Sometimes there's things going on, and and uh, so we're just going to keep talking. So, um, Dr. Hammer, I want to um, I want to get into your gain method. Talk to me about that. What does that mean? And it's an acronym. Yes. Uh, yeah. So as I was uh, teaching meditation to my trainees, um, I wanted to kind of uh, get my arms around the core concepts in uh, how to make them be more present and more resilient. So these four concepts of oh. gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgment just sort of occurred to me. And I think acronyms are good uh, as long as you don't get carried away. Um, I, I want letters seemed I, about right to me. I know that when I was studying Buddhism at college, uh, I always had a hard time trying to memorize the ten ways to this or the twelve <laughs> paths to that. Don't forget that. <laughs> four is about right. I can I can deal with four. So the first one is gratitude. One, two, three. <laughs> That's why. <laughs> The first element is gratitude. And it just occurred to me that gratitude is inexorably linked to happiness. Uh, you know, you can be blind and happy or deaf and happy. You can be very poor and happy, but you really won't see a person who's happy who is not grateful. So gratitude, I think, is where we start. And I think even during the pandemic, as awful as it is, let's look back a hundred years to the great influenza pandemic of 1918 and how much worse things were then. Uh, communication was quite limited. Medical care was quite limited. Um, 50 million people, give or take, around the world passed away, which hopefully is an order of magnitude greater than what we'll see with this COVID pandemic. Yeah. Um, it was hard to come by clean water and and food for many people. They were disconnected from their friends and loved ones unless they were living in the, uh, the same home with them. So if we fast forward to the present time, yeah. we have really outstanding access to medical care. I think all of us do if we're truly sick. Um, you know, it's we can order up food on Amazon or Costco online and have it delivered to us. Um, you know, most of us live in warm, safe places. We can connect with each other like we could not do even as little as 20 years ago. And, and your show is a good example of our access to YouTube. We can connect with each other on Zoom as we're doing. So we're so much better off than we were 100 years ago. And I think we need to focus on all of the uh, good things that we have rather than what we don't have. And when we do that, it's not difficult to be grateful for those things that we have. What um, what do you think is the most challenging thing about being grateful? <laughs> That's a good question. And uh, I think we can talk about how to rewire our brains, um, which I think is so important because our brains have become wired as we've developed from newborns, uh, as I was alluding to, in ways that are non-maladaptive, uh, uh, let's say, uh, non-beneficial to us. So um, how do we rewire our brains? One thing that we have to deal with is 
our negativity bias. So we all have a negativity bias, and this is sort of ingrained into our brain function. We tend to remember negative things and forget positive things. And so in answer to your question, why is it hard to be grateful? It's because due to our negativity bias, we tend to dwell again in a maladaptive manner to what we don't have and what adverse experience we had yesterday or a fear of what's going to happen. That's where our minds go. And that's why it's uh, often true that we're focused on what we lack rather than all the, the goodness in our lives. But we can change that. That's the good news is that um, using, for example, the GAIN approach, we can actually rewire our brains away from this negativity bias toward a more positive way of thinking. We have to appreciate the problem first, that we do have this negativity bias, that we do have all these maladaptive thoughts. And when we catch ourselves obsessing about what might happen in a catastrophic way, since we have this negativity veil, if you will, yeah. we can catch ourselves and intentionally, the I in gain is intention, purposefully steer our thoughts to pragmatic and more positive processes. I want to uh, point out a little bit of a, a, a human side to your story here, because you share in your book your own journey um, uh, with a great loss, the loss of your son, right? Yes. And uh, I'm only bringing that out because when we talk about being grateful, gratitude, right? There's this uh, journey, and you've already alluded to it, of, of being faced with the unfaceable, right? Being faced with that, which is how do I get, how do I get through this, which I think pertains to everyone listening, um, whether they've had such a, a severe loss or not. But how do, how do we get there? How do how do we change that? And and you are talking about changing the brain. You're talking about the plasticity, but there's also an emotional component to this. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, our emotions, you might say, come from our thoughts. Um, yes, I lost my son at the age of 29, three years ago. And of course, it's a very devastating thing. Um, but at some point, I kind of had an epiphany and I realized, wow, you know, I had him for 29 years. We had a lot of good times. We had a lot of fun. And uh, so I'm grateful for what we had together. Um, you know, something terrible could happen to any of us and any of our kids at any time. And so we can look at every day as a gift or a miracle. Um, Einstein said, and I'm paraphrasing, there's two ways to look at the world. One is that nothing is a miracle. And the other is that everything is a miracle. And yeah. so we can choose which approach we want to take, which kind of thought process we want to embrace. And so with my son, I just decided I'm going to be grateful for what we had and, and think about all the good times. And when I start to get sad about it, uh, you know, this becomes kind of a reflex way of dealing with maladaptive thoughts as you recognize that you're having them uh, less and less consciously as you practice this. Um, and when you start to have negative thoughts about what you lack, you can redirect your thought processes to what you have. We're not talking about a Pollyanna um uh, laissez-faire attitude we're, we're talking about actually using our intention to embrace the positive in our lives and and so yes it's a terrible thing to have in one's experience but on the other hand uh there's also those 29 years which were so wonderful and 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 that's gratitude uh, the a in gain is acceptance so yeah. i believe that we need to really sit with our pain and suffering and open our hearts to it. And literally during the gain meditation, which can be done in as little as three minutes, because um, my trainees are so busy, they said, well, I don't have a half hour. Okay, how about three minutes? Everybody can set their alarm three minutes earlier than they might otherwise and, and uh, go to bed three minutes earlier if they like, but set our intention the evening before by setting our alarms 
and getting up in the morning and uh, opening the blinds, doing one's morning hygiene routine, and then finding a comfortable place to sit in a comfortable position and um, get in touch with our breath and then go through a contemplative meditation of our gratitude, acceptance, intention, non-judgment. When we get to the acceptance, for me, it's easy. I think of my dear son, Max, and I actually, as I'm sitting with my eyes closed and and appreciating my breath, actually picture my chest opening, my heart opening, and the love of my son coming into my heart, as well as the pain and suffering associated with his death. And I bring it closer and closer and closer until it's in my heart. I've merged with it. There's no separation. And when I ask myself the question, can I live with this pain forever? The answer becomes yes. And, and this is acceptance, you know, as the serenity prayer would have it, we need to discern between what we can change and what we cannot change in our lives. And what we cannot change, we should focus on accepting. And so that's the A in gain is acceptance. And I think it's an extremely important step. Wow, I, I love what you said so very much. Um, uh, I think you're absolutely right because we end up in resistance or battling or doing, you know, using all this energy and attention to shove things out of the way, right? No, I can't accept it. It can't be here, right? Absolutely. But, but this practice of bringing both, like you say, the 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 love and the goodness as well as the pain and suffering coming together in the heart. And, and then that's, that's yeah. what life is. Life is full of joy and also full of pain and suffering. It's just our human existence. So yes, I think it's extremely important to practice acceptance. And you know, there's a formula. We love formulas in medicine. Uh, there's a formula in the book, which is suffering equals pain times resistance. Oh, suffering wow. equals pain times resistance. So we have a pain, the loss of a loved one, for example, we can resist it. And the more we, we resist it, the greater our suffering. And acceptance can be seen as the opposite of resistance. So if we lower our resistance through acceptance, our suffering is diminished. Suffering equals pain times resistance. And so we can accept the pain. And at the same time, let's focus on acceptance in order to diminish our suffering. That's something that we can all do. And I want to point out to the listeners, too, that in your book, Gain Without Pain, you have this all laid out really easily. And I, I really mean this. Like one of the things I love so much is people can do this gain meditation in three minutes. So that's that's for on the fly because I, I'm busy and I know a lot of people are busy. We don't always have time for half hour meditation, right? So we need to do these things. Yeah, I think that... Um... Yeah. Meditation is still kind of stigmatized. And one reason for that is that uh, many people have been taught or, or think that meditation is something uh, that requires 20 to 30 minutes. It, it means sitting possibly in an uncomfortable position, uh, being committed to not scratching an itch, uh, <laughs> trying to empty yeah. one's mind of all <laughs> thoughts. Forget that. And that's not practical. <laughs> None of those things are practical. So people have either been uh, intimidated and, and haven't tried it, or they've tried and they believe that they've failed. So it's important to underscore that there is no such thing as failure. And by the way, meditation doesn't mean any of those things. Meditation can be uh, in one of various forms. I think the going to the focus on the breath and the miracle of the breath and the symmetry of, of air passing through our nose and into our lungs, the sensation of expansion of the chest, and then the effortless exhalation um, is central to most types of meditation and it's accessible at any time yeah. that is going to focus of thoughts on the breath. And then um, the gain method is a contemplative sort of meditation. So 
this eliminates the problem of trying to banish all thoughts from our minds while we're meditating. In fact, uh, we, we spend uh, 15 or 20 seconds getting in touch with our breath, and that tends to slow down our breath, which also lowers our heart rate, lowers our serum adrenaline and cortisol. And then we go to a contemplation, and we might spend 30 or 45 seconds contemplating that for which we're grateful. And then we transition to acceptance, and we all have things that we experience as sources of pain and suffering, and we can discern between things we can change and things we can't change. Uh, we can't change the vote counting in Pennsylvania. <laughs> So those things that we can't change, we accept. And we actually are contemplating those things during the next 30 or 45 seconds. And then we move to intention. And intention is, you know, one of the four pillars of happiness and resilience. And John Kabat-Zinn, who's really the father of mindfulness-based stress reduction, or really the practice of mindfulness, uh, defined mindfulness as essentially being in the present moment on purpose, non-judgmentally. So we can talk about the end and gain being non-judgment, but the on purpose is the I, that's the intention. So we can actually guide our thought processes on purpose. We don't want to just be totally passive and go wherever our minds take us, but rather we can be purposeful. And in so doing, we can rewire our brains. And a great example of that, which is in the book, is the Three Good Things program at Duke University. And basically mm -hmm. what the investigators showed by studying thousands and thousands of subjects is that simply by thinking of three good things that happen during the day as we prepare for bed, really doesn't take any time. You can contemplate these three good things as you're turning down the, the bed sheets. And basically... Uh, thinking of three good things before we go to sleep helps our sleep and it makes us happier. So tonight I will undoubtedly embrace what a beautiful day it is here in Northern California on Stanford campus, which is where I live. I will reflect upon our meeting that I'm enjoying so much right now, looking at your smiling face. And I'm going to go for a walk with a friend after this. So even before 10 o'clock Pacific time, I've got my three good things for tonight. So I will just reflect <laughs> on these three things before I go to sleep. And again, if we take baby steps, but do this on a daily basis, it's this practice, for example, the three good things shows how powerful our intention is. All we have to do is purposefully embrace three good things before we go to sleep and it makes us happier. So this is a great example of how we can rewire our brains and instead of thinking about what didn't go well during the day before we go to sleep, we on purpose think of what did go well. And again, on a daily basis, this practice will actually help rewire our brain. So this becomes more uh, naturally how we think after some period of time. It just takes, takes practice, just like preparing for a marathon, if you will. You don't just decide to do it one day and go out and run a marathon the next day. You have to have a stepwise, a purposeful approach. And through our intention, we can do just that and rewire our brain so that our thoughts of the past and the future are limited to those adaptive thought processes. And um, we let go of the maladaptive and bring our focus back to the present moment. Can you briefly talk about what is the difference between an intention and a goal? Yes, a goal is sort of a longer term concept. Okay. So this is our goal. So, you know, again, uh, in the book, I give an example of the difference between a goal and an intention. So my goal uh, on a Saturday afternoon is to go for a bike ride and climb up uh, one of the windy roads that goes up to uh, Skyline Boulevard uh, from where you can see the Pacific Ocean. My goal is to get to the top and to be able to gaze at the ocean. Uh, my intention, though, is a short-term thing. So my intention might be as short-term as just one rotation of the bike pedals. Mm 
And as I'm pedaling, I'm focused on each rotation and how my breath and uh, those rotations of the bicycle pedals are synced. So that's my intention is to get in touch with my breath and focus on one revolution at a time, if you will. My goal is to get to the top and to see the ocean. Yeah. So as I'm climbing, it's getting a little foggy. By the time I get to the top, there's a lot of fog and I can't see the ocean. Um, but uh, my intentions were actualized. Yeah. So, it, you know, yeah. I didn't, I, my goal did not necessarily happen, but I'm happy because I was yeah. able to be purposeful and intentional and be in the present moment as I as I completed that climb. Yeah, I, t I totally got what you were saying. Thank you for that. Um, it being happiness is in the present moment. And um, I think the more we can do that, the more it will help us to step into that non-judgmental thing and also to accept the things that we cannot control. Um, you know, you deal a lot with um, di dying children and having to figure out how to deal with the fact that you can't save them all. And um, that idea that we're not in control of everything, I think everyone can relate to that. So yeah, being in that present moment, your gain, G-A-I-N, gratitude, acceptance, intention, and non-judgmental. Um, I think everybody needs to get your book just to get that. I really do. Can you take a few minutes and talk about, <laughs> these are big subjects, diet, exercise, and sleep? Because I kind of think everyone's having trouble here. <laughs> right. Well, you know, those are chapters in the book, uh, at the end of the book. Uh, I had them in the beginning, but my publisher told me that a lot of people don't finish books. So put the really important stuff up front. Of course, sleep, exercise, and nutrition are important as well. Those are kind of uh, the tripod of our physical bodies, and we need to take care of our bodies. Otherwise, our bodies will be a distraction to us. Uh, how yeah. fatigued we are, how we've gained weight, et cetera. So yeah, the COVID-19 is <laughs> not what you think. <laughs> yeah, the 19 pounds you gained. <laughs> anyway, go so, ahead. You know, please. I think that um, I, I would embrace really simple principles. First, sleep. There's a number of elements of good sleep hygiene, which we all kind of know intuitively, even though we don't necessarily practice them. But for example, uh, having a schedule, and I think in, during the pandemic, this is important in general, is to have a bedtime, have a wake-up time, uh, have a meal time, family time, and work time, and try to keep them in their lanes, if you will. But sleep hygiene includes having a regular bedtime, um, not being on your laptop or your phone, or uh, possibly even not reading a book on your bed or in your bed. Your bed is for two things and uh, neither of them include a screen. So yeah, I think that good sleep hygiene means having a regular bedtime, uh, having your bed associated with sleep. And uh, there's certain things to avoid proximate to bedtime. And they would include, you know, being on your computer, dealing with work related issues. You know, we're all preoccupied with what we have to do tomorrow. So write it down. If you have a calendar on your, on your laptop, on your phone, populate it with things you need to do the next day so that you can stop thinking about them. And um, alcohol, um, you know, alcohol makes us drowsy, but when we're in uh, alcohol facilitated unconsciousness, I'm not even going to call it sleep. We, we, the, the medical term for a drug induced state of unconsciousness is actually hypnosis <laughs> associated with the little pocket watch going back and forth, but actually it's a, it's a term. It means unconsciousness induced by um, drugs or, or medications. And so alcohol does make us sleepy, but it like other sedatives, sleeping pills, Benadryl, etc. It interferes with the restorative phases of sleep. And so it's not physiologic or normal sleep when we drink alcohol uh, within a few hours of when we go to go to bed. 
So alcohol, caffeine, caffeine is another big one that many people don't really realize how long the caffeine sticks around in your bloodstream. So, um, you know, in pharmacology, we talk about half-lives or half-time. So that's the time it takes for the concentration of something in the bloodstream or in a tissue to, to be reduced by 50%. And caffeine has a half-time of six to eight hours. So that second cup of coffee you have even in the morning is like having a cup of coffee, the two that you have in the morning is half of that caffeine in your blood is still there six to eight hours later. So it's like having a cup of coffee, one in the morning and then one in the early afternoon. And then half of that is still there when it's time to go to bed. So having you know too much coffee in the morning or certainly having that cup in the afternoon that you think, oh, I've got six more hours or eight hours before I'm gonna go to bed, there's still a lot of caffeine in your blood. And for those of us that are very sensitive to it, that definitely impairs sleep. Yeah. So, you know, those are all elements of sleep hygiene, um, you know, exercise. I think we know what to do, uh, get at least some every day, whether that's going for a nice fast walk outside or uh, doing resistance training. We can't, uh, in many cases, go to the gym, but there are things you can do just with body weight at home. Um, the main thing is get some exercise every day. And then nutrition. Um I would kind of debunk some of the fad diets. I'm not sure that we need to, you know, go 18 hours between meals. There may be some benefit to that um, in terms of ketogenesis. Uh, but I'm not a big proponent of ketogenic diets unless we're treating a child who's got a seizure disorder. Right. Um, so extremely low carb or extremely low fat diets. Uh, you know, I'm not sure those are necessarily the best for everyone. So do what makes sense, mainly try to cut down on or better yet eliminate highly processed foods, sugary foods, fatty foods. But the sleep exercise nutrition elements kind of are all interrelated. When our sleep is disrupted, disrupted yeah. and tired, we tend to reach for sugary foods or fatty yeah. comfort foods because those give us a bit of a boost very temporarily. Yeah. So we all know I... how to eat well. Yeah. And I really wanted to point that out because I'm always talking about the basics, like take care of yourself, people. And also, I, I'm i with you. I debunk all this bad stuff. Let's, let's be nutritional. So we got one minute left. Um, my guest, Greg Hammer, MD, gain without pain, the happiness handbook, right? Uh, for healthcare professionals and also all of us, uh, where can people find you? And, and like three last words. <laughs> sure. My website is greghammermd.com. That's G-R-E-G-H-A-M-M-E-R-M-D.com. And there are uh, links to lots of media like this program will be on there uh, in a few weeks, I hope. Yeah. Um, there's some other in, un, you know, interesting material there and also a link to the Amazon site where you can buy the book. Yeah. And I, I want to reiterate with everybody, this is so approachable. This is doable. Um, you don't need like to add a whole bunch of extra stuff, just three minutes, three minutes. You, you can do it. You can do it. You're doing it. I know you can. Greg, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to have you on my show and you're an inspiration and a delight and, and wonderful good wishes to you. By the way, yes, you can teach your children this. Please do it. All right. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for having me. It's been delightful. Happy to come back anytime. Absolutely. Bye now.